You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. God, we give you thanks for this gift of life that you've blessed us with. And we pray today that your word come, as Paul said, not in word alone, but with power, with full conviction, and with your Holy Spirit. This is our prayer through Jesus. Amen. God doesn't owe you anything. I don't really care who you are, whether you're very religious or very irreligious, a Christian, a non-Christian. It does not matter. God doesn't owe you, doesn't owe me anything at all. Beyond the breath of life that God has put into our lungs, beyond this life that he's given us, nothing more does he need to give us. We might expect more, we might want more, but he doesn't have to give us anything. Now that might seem like a strange way to begin, and I'll, I'll give you more on it in a minute, okay? In this series that today we come to our final installment of, of trust greater than or equal to fear, we've been dealing with our fears, all the many pervasive fears that press in upon us. Personal fears, fears that we're going deeper into debt, fears of relationships that have fallen apart, fears of just wanting meaning or a sense of purpose in our hopeless lives. Even the fears that Christians have. Christians tend to be locked in a prison of fear right now. We're afraid of a culture that that seems to have run out ahead of us and away from us. We're afraid of, of churches that are shrinking or closing their doors or of a world whose sense of right and wrong seems so far different from our own perspective on that same rule. We're people that might demand a certain set of rules, a certain order to this world, might even want that to be legislated and dictate upon others. But those same outsiders, when they look at our lives and the prisons that we're in, they don't see our lives as really all that compelling. Nothing within us to draw them into this life that we say and express is so important. Those outside of the world shrug their shoulders, throw up their hands, and just walk away and say, I don't think I'm interested in this at all. Well, I think as we've looked at fears and tried to focus in on them, I've tried to express to you the premise of this set of lessons. And this premise is that we are frozen in fear for sure, but we're frozen in the wrong kinds of fears. We're frozen in these personal fears or frozen in fears of our own perspective and not in the fear of God. And that's what we've been trying to express, that we would find the fear of God, that that's the path for wisdom. That's the beginning point of relationship with God, one that's filled with worship, one that's filled with awe and respect for all that God is, one 
that is seeking the very presence of God. And so all these stories that we've been exploring and telling from the book of Exodus of plagues and walls of water and all kinds of conversations in the wilderness, provision and protection from God, magic meals in the desert, all all of those stories have been pushing us into relationship with God, into a fear and a respect of who God is and what God intends for us in this life. So trust, being greater than or equal to fear, has been our adventure in seeing what the mighty acts of God are, of telling these stories of how God has acted in a group of people, of moving away from fear-based approaches to leadership, and really and truly coming to understand a phrase that at first glance and first hearing sounds odd, the fear of the Lord. That's what we've been wanting to pursue. Well, the journey that we've been on has been really a lot of conversation between Moses and God. And we've been seeing the unfolding relationship as God develops this conversational, interactive relationship with his servant Moses. Now Moses had kind of made a wreck of his life. And it kind of was a life that was thrown to him that he might not have wanted at all, right? We could... could We could summarize it this way. He was born as a baby into slavery. That's bad news. Born as a baby into slavery during an execution mandate for those same slaves. But he escaped death. He escaped slavery and was actually drawn in as like one of these adopted children into a very wealthy woman's life. The Pharaoh's own princess adopts Moses into into her household and he learns all the ways of great education and great food. And yet he still got to have a relationship with his own birth parents, these priests, who likely pumped into his mind the idea that he was an insider, that he was going to deliver the people. And maybe that led him to the murder where he murdered an Egyptian, a murder that he found, was found out, and he began to run away and to flee his life. And he began a fresh start a fresh start with his third family, a second life, to be able to make sense. And it's in that moment when Moses' life is a wreck that God begins to develop this conversational relationship with him, this face-to-face, if it's possible, relationship with Moses. Speaking to him first out of a burning bush, a bush that didn't get consumed. Many, many conversations, and then even one on the mountain of the burning bush, the mountain that God said He'd bring not just Moses back to for a one-on-one personal encounter, but all the people would come to worship at the foot of the mountain of the burning bush. And when you talk about having a conversational relationship with God, most people, when they get close to even a messenger from God, are terrified. They're ready to die. They think they're going to die, right? It's kind of frightening to think about having such of a relationship with God. I mean, even the people, as they were at the foot of Mount Sinai and they heard the Ten Commands bellowed to them from God's own voice, they didn't want anything to do with it at all. Moses, you take care of that. And their distance from God led them to quickly break the first three commands. You remember this? 
Have no other gods? Nope, got a golden calf now. Make no idols? Nope, now we've got a golden calf. Don't misuse the name of Yahweh? No, we're just going to put Yahweh's name right here along with all of these other gods. Boom, quick as a snap, they have broken all of these commands. And God is ticked, and Moses is ticked, and everyone is upset. And last week we saw, as Moses stepped in between God and the people, and he interceded, and he modeled for us what a life that fears God looks like. What a conversational relationship that's interacted with God can look like. And he stepped into that moment. You know, last week, I heard about one of our own teenagers who did something similar. This teenager's friends were fighting with one another. And that teenager was not drawn in to one side or the other, but remained friends with both and approached each one and encouraged them to talk to one another. You've had experiences like this where you've had to step in between, not get drawn into the sides and bring some reason, bring some logic into the moment. And that's what Moses models for us, an intercession unlike any intercession. He doesn't excuse the people of God. He doesn't tell God, oh, they didn't mean to. He doesn't try to justify it or minimize it at all. He instead calls upon God's own character. God, you're the deliverer. Deliver. God, you're the people that you're the person that loves the whole world. Don't you see what this will do to outsiders if you wipe out your own people? God, you made promises to this group of people. God, be true to your own character. That's the approach that Moses takes. Not to minimize or reduce evil at all, but to speak to who God is. And so we get to this moment. This moment for this week of Exodus chapter 33 that Jimmy read to us. And the tension is still in the air. Have you been there before? When two squabbling parties are not squabbling anymore, but they're still just kind of a static in the air. God is still simmering on his anger. Because what God is wrestling with is this pivotal axis-turning type moment for us as humans. What is the balance between the justice of God and the mercy of God? How, how can God do both of those things? Be merciful to a group of people and yet still be just. And what does that say about God's presence with that group of people? What does it look like? In the history of the world, I don't know if there's been a more significant moment than this one, especially early on. Because the problem that we saw and heard in this story is a problem of God's presence. Will God stay with this group of people or not? And what makes this a huge problem is that the people have no claim to keep God present with them at all, do they? They've worshipped other gods. They've broken the commands before they could hardly finish echoing through the canyons. They don't have any reason. There's no ground for them to stand on at all. God doesn't owe them or us anything at all. Nothing. And probably, possibly, 
When we look at this story, we see that God's about ready to walk away. Really and truly, that's what God is about to do. Walk away from this group of people that he has been following. Have you been there before or watched this before? A marriage, just as it is breaking, snapping, severing. Someone gets blamed and one person takes a step away and the other one feels justified in stepping away as well. And whatever happens, the hate or the animosity begins to multiply and one thing leads to another. And there's this moment where each person makes a decision that they're going to walk away. Maybe it's just mentally at first. Maybe it's in the heart. I'm not going to be as committed as I was before because I'm justified in stepping away. Here in this moment, we have such a situation. And God turns to Moses. Verses 12 through 17 are some of the most tightly packed description of God's presence in all of Scripture. And he tells Moses, look, go, it's time. Go to the land. Go to the land that I've promised to you. I've promised it to Abraham and Isaac. I'm going to clear out all of your enemies in front of you. You go, you take it, but I'm not going to go with you. Now, you can cue up the music of the highlight reel of Exodus. Go to the promised land. You just see all the excitement. And then when they hit this moment where God says, I'm not going to go with you, record scratch, music stops. Wait, 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 wait a second. You won't go with us? I mean, in the first place, why would they even go? Why would they leave this place of the presence of God, this burning bush? this burning mountain, why wouldn't they just build here, take the land here, let this place of God's presence be where they dwell? But no, God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to my promises. I'm going to do what I told you I would do. But if I went with you, I'd wipe you out. I'd consume you. The unholiness of this stiff-necked group of people would lead me to wipe them out just because of God's own holiness. I would extinguish them, says God. And here in this moment, we get the bad news, the doozy that God would not go with them, that he's done and he wants to walk away. And the problem here is of God's absence. I, don't, I think sometimes we forget when we read scripture that we're right in the middle of these stories. For us, we can read ahead. We know things that happen. We can read thousands of years ahead. But for the people that are in this story, they're right in the middle of this threat of God's absence. And they grieve. Their response is one of terror and horror. In fact, what they do is begin taking off their jewelry, taking off their ornaments, all of the distractions that they received from Egypt, all of the distractions they used partially to make a golden calf, all of these things that separate them from God, they take off of their own free will. That's quite a move, quite a response from this group of people. I don't know if you can imagine melting down or taking off your accessories, your iPhone, your smartphone, your tablet. Let's just put all of those aside. Let's melt down the cables of our internet or of our streaming subscriptions. Let's put all of that aside because we're faced with something much bigger, the absence of God. 
And so they're able to set aside those things that distract. With the people responding in that way, Moses responds in a different way. He looks at God and he says, if there's going to be no presence, you're not going to be with us, then let's end this right now. Don't, go, don't carry us forward anymore at all. If you're not going to go with us, it's over. And in this pivotal moment, he begins to say, look God, you've told me that you're going to tell me what messenger you're taking up with me, but you haven't said who it is. You've told me that I have favor in your eyes, that you know my name, you know who I am, and it kind of seems like, God, you want me to lead, but God, and this is the one you probably need to highlight in your Bible in verse 13, if I've found favor in your sight, show me your way, that I can know you and receive this group of people as your own. Wow. Here again, Moses stretches out his life on the line. He lays down his body in front of God. Last week, you remember what he said? If you're going to blot this group of people out, then blot me out as well. And now again, he ties his own character to the presence of God and says, look, if you're not going to go with us, we don't want to go any further than this. And here, Moses says, if you're through with us, we're able to see that Moses cannot let go of God. And we see what a relationship that fears God, that respects God, looks like. It's interactive and sometimes it's quite bold. God, I don't care if you're going to give us land, if you're going to give us permanent houses. We don't need any of those things if you're not going to be the one to go with us. And all I can say is, wow, wow, wow for Moses to make this kind of statement that it's not about the goodies that you get it's about God's presence with them it's not any presence e-n-t-s it's about God's presence e-n-c-e-s with his group of people in conversational interactive relationship with God with a group of people who are flawed and who make mistakes that's what it's all about that is incredible. Well, yesterday I, I celebrated an anniversary. Yesterday was the one-year anniversary of my dad's death. Now, I'm not bringing this up for, to drag you into the gutter or to solicit sympathy. I want you to hear a very important conversation. That eight-month journey that we had all began right in the middle of COVID on Friday the 13th when the world was shutting down, when we were making decisions about what to do with church, that's when we found out what had been going on with Dad and that the cancer had advanced rapidly in his body. Well, in August of last year, Dad and I had a face-to-face -face conversation, just talking about real stuff, just he and I, about what things he was afraid of, what he was facing, because he knew that life wasn't granted, life wasn't a given. And what, he, what we talked about, I, I can't express all of it, but what he was looking forward to is the unconditional love of God. That's what he most wanted. As someone who lived 71 years on this earth and more than 55 years preaching the gospel, 
He didn't always feel that unconditional love of God. Have you been there before? And what he wanted for himself was what he wanted for his own father, the unconditional love of God to be in the presence of God. It's what he would wish for every member of his family that's still living today. It's what I wish for us today to come to know the unconditional love of God in the truest sense of the word, that God wants to live with us. In fact, there's no truer thing that I could tell you than the story that God made you, created you, gave you life. And God deeply loves you for who you are. And God wants to live in you and dwell with you. You see, while God doesn't owe us anything at all, doesn't owe us one thing past the breath that we had previously, what God offers to us is God's presence. He has opened up a channel way, a pathway for us to live in relationship with God. And you know about this. Many of you have been living this way for your entire lives. You feel that love. But God's presence is there as a never-ending journey of going deeper into the goodness of God. Now, this is not a sense that you would somehow control God like a switch, like Moses having some kind of a backstage pyrotechnic switch to turn off and on Mount Sinai. Uh Uh-uh. You're not going to control God. You're not going to get God to do what you want. But what God has offered to you is a chance to live your life with God in partnership, in interactive conversation, a partnership that we've talked about at length in this series where fear of the God is like a code word for that. It's a code word for trust, of relying upon God, of knowing where your strength is, of worshiping God. You know, this path of of fearing God, of respecting God, is not about our holiness. Our holiness, we have to not just treat this very casually. When people come into the presence of God, they get afraid. And so it's only normal that that's our response at times, that we're afraid. We can't be casual and flippant with this God when we walk into God's presence. This conversation is not... The conversational relationship with God is not one where we throw a bunch of excuses to God or try to say yes, but, or justify. No, it's all about God. It's not so much about what we've done well or what we've done wrong, but who God is. And we're following God with all of our past, with all of our present, with all of our difficulties All of these failures, these all come into the presence of God. The things that we've done to hurt other people, the ways that we've endured the hurt of others, these are occasions for us to realize, like 1 Peter 3.13 says, we don't fear what other people fear. We just don't. Because in our hearts, we've set apart Christ as Lord. So the fears that the world has, the fears that most people have, are insignificant to us because what's dominant is the fear, the respect, the trust in a God who's got our best interest in mind. 
this path of developing a conversational relationship with God is truly a process. It's one that doesn't ever finish. As Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, we're to, to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling because it's God who's working inside of us to give us the will and the want to to live according to His good pleasure. It's a process. Whenever you're talking about the bigness of the goodness of God, this is not a process that just ends in a week or with one moment of your life or even with your death. When it comes to coming to know God, this is an eternal process, a journey that, that may have a beginning point because we have a beginning point, but it definitely doesn't have an ending point unless that ending point is in God himself. So, with us, living in the presence of God means that we want to be a group of people that are like Moses, known by God, friends with God. Spiritual maturity, it doesn't mean that we just simply spend our lives avoiding what's evil. Yeah, I said that right. It doesn't mean we just spend our lives avoiding bad things. It doesn't even mean that we spend our lives doing good things so that God will reward us. No, it's about God and coming to know God in this ongoing, endless journey of friendship with God. Thankfully, Jesus has made this tangible for us. He's helped us see what this looks like. As one who fears God, one full of the Holy Spirit, one who opened up the channel of the Holy Spirit for us to connect with God and live an interactive relationship with God. A deposit, a guarantee that God wants to live in your temple, to be a part of your life, to go into business with you. This friendship that Jesus showed us is a friendship that we can live into as well. In fact, that's what we're about at First Christian, isn't it? What's our mission statement? Follow Jesus. We're following Jesus. We invite whoever wants to follow Jesus to come with us. And that means that we're being in the presence of God wherever we can. We are spitting out the bones of Scripture. We're spitting out the bones of church tradition. We're spitting out the bones of church history. Those places where we've made mistakes. And we are being in the presence of God. We're doing the things that Jesus did. That means being in a group at first. Being a part of people that are sometimes secretly doing God good. Coming up with clever ways to be the light and the salt that this world so desperately needs. We're saying the things that Jesus said. Speaking the things that Jesus spoke. Whenever He looked at us and He said, go learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Well, that's what we're about learning. We're trying to learn what mercy looks like, even more so than religious practices like sacrifice. And we are going. We're going where Jesus leads. Sometimes that means we come into the presence of a bush where God wants to speak to us. And sometimes it means we come to that mountain where we'd love to just stay and we hear God say, go. And we go away from what's comfortable and familiar because we are with God. We're entering this life in a journey 
of always coming deeper and deeper into relationship with God. If you need some practice, I gave you guys a worksheet last week. There's some of those that are still at our our Welcome Center, if you want to pick one of those up, where you can think strategically about the things that you do in your life. Hygiene, television shows, phone calls, jobs, what you do every day, multiple times through your week, or even each month. And then to begin to turn the page and think about how can I be, do, say, and go with Jesus as I follow Jesus. Let's pray. God, we ask you for your presence. We don't want to get up from the chairs that we're sitting in if we're not going with your presence. And so, Father, would you go out ahead of us? Would you be on our right and our left? Would you be behind us, Father, surrounding us in your presence and leading us into the places where you would have us to go? Thank you that we're never alone. Even when we face death, even when we face loss or rejection, we are not alone, nor are we defined by those things. But we're defined by life in you. We pray all this through the powerful name of Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit as one God now and forever. Amen.